What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 98 of the Rich Hunter Outdoors podcast. This week, we got Austin Stone joining us again. This will be his fourth time on the show. It's always a lot of fun talking to him about public land stuff and just hunting strategy in general. The dude's killed a lot of big bucks. He knows what he's talking about, and I always learn something when we talk to him. And Again, I just always enjoy talking to Austin about whitetails and, and getting on big mature deer. And he's in the middle of his whitetail slam now, too. We talked about that on the last episode he was on back in July. He was kind of getting amped up for going down to Kentucky. He went down there opening weekend, didn't have any luck, but he did learn some things about the property. So we talked to him about all that and more and kind of what's to come with his whitetail slam videos. And, you know, we got into a bunch of strategy stuff as well. So make sure you stick around for that. But before we get into it, don't forget about our partners for the podcast. First one being Grandpa Ray Outdoors. They specialize in providing the best nutrition for whitetail deer on your property, starting with the soil. They've got a full line of high-quality food plot seed and plant foods. They were starting in 2015, but John's been in the seed and nutrition business since 1991. With over 14 different food plot blends to choose from, you're not going to have any trouble finding what you're looking for, whether that be fall or spring blends, corn and beans, switchgrass, liquid fertilizer, soil test kits, you name it. When it comes to food plotting, they pretty much have it. They're not just about selling their products, though. They're going to answer any questions you have about what blends would be best for your specific property. That way you can achieve the best results possible. They really take care of their clients. They're going to invest that into you, answer any questions that you're going to have, and make sure that you know you get the most bang for your buck. We've used our seed blends on client properties when we've put in food plots for guys. We've used them on our own properties for a couple years now, and the results have always been as good as advertised. Nate's got a plot right now that's in fall draw. That we thought was going to be really dry this year and not do anything. And it's one of the best plots that I've seen this year uh, with another dry fall that we've had. So, again, like I said, they, it, the, the results have always been as good as we thought they should be and better in some cases. That's why we actually partnered with them in the first place. And that's why we're going to continue to partner with them on the podcast. If you guys want to check them out, go to GrandpaRayOutdoors.com. Use the discount code RHOPODCAST. It's all lowercase, no space. And you get 5% off your entire order. We're also a dealer for them, so you can always stop in and order from me, and I'll get you set up with that as well. Save you a little bit of money on shipping. Our other partner for the podcast is Rodney Hawkins. If you guys don't know, he is a land specialist with Midwest Farm and Land. He's been hunting and fishing in southern Illinois his whole life, and he's now putting that love for the outdoors into his new job with Midwest Farm and Land. If you guys haven't heard of them, they're not your average real estate company. They sold over $85 million worth of ground in 2022 alone, They've got agents like Rodney all over Illinois, so they're really a local company with a national reach. For more info on them or any properties that might be available or getting yours listed, you can contact Rodney directly at 618-925-3153, and he'll get you taken care of. I know they've got some really nice listings out right now, kind of you know in our area, um, some really good properties, so you can check that out or talk to him about it. He's also got his own company called RG Outdoors. He's currently got products from Radix Hunting. He's got camo dust. He's got Tacticam trail cameras, and he's adding stuff all the time. So if you're interested in any of that or the new stuff that they might have coming up, you can go to their Facebook page, RG Outdoors. Email them at rgoutdoors.yahoo.com, or again, just call Rodney directly at 618-925-3153. Our socials are Ridge Hunter Outdoors. That's on Facebook and Instagram. Make sure you follow us at both of those places. Our Facebook group is the RHO Podcast Patrons. That's a private group where you get some exclusive content and you have some input on the show. RidgeHunterOutdoors.com is our website. If you guys find anything on there you like, we've got the Scents back in stock, the Calming Spray. We've got the Buck and Doe Tarsal Sprays. We've got apparel on there, and we also have our own blend of food plot seed as well. 
So you can use the discount code RHOPOD, that's all caps, no space, and you get 10% off of everything in your entire order on there. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, make sure you follow us, leave us a review. That really helps us out as well, even though it doesn't seem like much. Um, the YouTube channel, subscribe there. It's richhunteroutdoors.com. The first episode of Fall Pursuit, that's our new show that we're doing on YouTube, will be out tomorrow. We've got a recovery of a really nice buck that Blake put down. We've got Dusty hunting with Dawson. He killed a really nice buck, his biggest buck to date. Um, during the youth season. That's wrapping up today. And then we got Uncle Jeff on a nice doe uh, the other night as well. So all that stuff will be on the first episode of Fall Pursuit. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the notification bell, and you'll know when that comes out. All right, all that out of the way, let's get into the conversation with Austin Stone. This is the Ridge Hunter Outdoors podcast. All right, we got Austin Stone back with us. Austin, I appreciate you coming back on, especially on short notice like this. Yeah, absolutely. No worries, man. I always appreciate jumping on a call with you. Yeah, for sure. So we were just talking a little bit, and we were texting last night. It's been a while since we talked, and obviously the season's rolling now. We're in a week, over a weekend here in Illinois. I know you got down to Kentucky for the opener down there, and we haven't talked to you since then. So maybe that's a good place to start. If, if everybody listening doesn't know, Austin's trying to do a whitetail slam this year on mostly public ground, right? Or all public ground? All, all public ground. All public ground. So that's Illinois, Kentucky, Missouri, Kansas, and North Dakota? North Dakota was on plan. So we'll, um, we've had some changes happen over the last month or so. So we're going we're gonna to try to, we might be having to throw some audibles into right. the slam. Right. So. Okay, so that's in general though. That's kind of the idea of what you got going on. But you went down to Kentucky for the opener down there, and you were on some really nice bucks. But like like it always happens when season rolls around, they they don't always show up. They don't necessarily <laughs> cooperate all the time. So why don't you just give us the rundown on what happened down there in Kentucky? So um, overall, the Kentucky hunt was great. Um, it was slow movement, which is kind of what we expected. It was hot. You know, um, hunting pressure didn't really hit until about the last week leading into season which is what we expected mm-hmm. and and every time that happens it, it gives the deer a little bit of a shock and they kind of go into um go into a hole sometimes when they really start getting pushed around a little bit more than what they're used to so um the bucks we were after we were still on them that they, they were just holding up real tight like we we lost um the daylight pictures became a lot more few and far between and um it required us to get really close so um being on deer like we did it really made the stress of the trip really low mm-hmm. it just meant that we need to be real smooth and careful just slowly trying to get closer and closer to just figure out exactly where they're bedding and see if we can get in on him um without bumping him so that's kind of the the trick early season like that is you got to get on top of mm-hmm. where they decide to bed for the day. And um, um, I did on opening day, out of curiosity, I, I was sitting on um, the edge of a known bedding area that I was hunting um, for this this big buck I'm on. 
And I, I ended up pulling an all-day set just out of curiosity, see what happened movement-wise. And I had a couple does come in. In about a six-hour period, those, those does only got up twice, and they were only on their feet for about 20 minutes each time. Yeah. So that they bedded down for three to four hours before they got back up again. And, and what they did is they, I watched them, they graze over about 40 yards and graze back and lay back in the exact same spot. And then when they got up for that second time, they did the exact same routes, grazed over the 40 yards and back. So I was like, man, that's exactly what our bucks are doing. Mm-hmm. So, so if you weren't on top of these deer, there's a good chance that you weren't even going to see them. Right. So, um, but the good thing was that they, they were still there. So we were slowly just trying to inch in and we're playing long ball with them. We're, we're playing the long game. Right. So it didn't get it done, you know, over opening week. We're just collecting more intel and slowly putting those puzzle pieces together. Right. And I don't, so, th- oh, sorry. Yeah. You're good. No, I don't think I mentioned it, but opening day down there was over a month ago now. It was September, yeah, September, September 2nd. 2nd. Yeah. So for those yeah. of you that don't know, the Kentucky opener was well over a month ago now. And that's kind of the time frame we're talking about. So, yeah. yeah. And, and like you're saying there, if you're not within 60 yards of where that guy's bedding and he happens to come your direction one of those times he stands up, and maybe even yep. closer than that, because he may not even be moving forty yards. You're you may not even have get to lay eyes on him, kind of like what you like what happened, I guess. Yep. But it's so tough to get in there that close to him, especially if you don't have just a perfect win, and you you pretty much have to know exactly where they're at. Yeah, and and I mean, as you know, um, you could be on a general betting area that you've located and. But a buck always has multiple bedding areas, and he mm-hmm. tends to bed in multiple different spots also. So, you know, maybe this one bedding area he got bumped out of a few times that I didn't know about. Right. And he chose to bed in another one of his bedding areas. And if that's the case, you know, that's that's public land. That's just part of it. But if that's the case, you know, where you would be set up or possibly you might have got eyes on him, on on a one of his bedding areas that you got located he was bumped out and ended up going to a different one right so so it's kind of that ever-changing um chase that just kind of happens so yeah and in this kind of where we hunt too we don't hunt a lot of open mm-hmm. glassing ground so it's not like we're we're trying to do, do this where we could glass these deer from a few hundred yards out i mean you're in we're in brush so you got to be you got to be on top of them to see them. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And did you guys leave any cameras down there or anything when you left to try to keep tabs on those bucks? Have you seen them since you guys left? Oh yeah, we we left ca- cameras out. Um, and actually, this that's what this last weekend was for. Um, we got down there for a really quick trip. I mean, we drove through the night on Friday night, got there at three a.m. and spent basically a day and a half down there to adjust cameras and um do some scouting while we did some hunting right um the the one of the bucks were on the nine point he's been pretty regular and then the the 10 point i think he's shifted a little bit so i'm kind of in the game of figuring out where he's shifted to basically right so um, i feel pretty comfortable about what i know about him I just need to get eyes on them again and, and play the um, preferred food source game. 
Yeah, so you're adjusting those cameras like you're talking about now from where you were scouting them for that early yeah. early season, late summer type of pattern to now where they're falling really into their fall range and where they're going to be for the next month plus. And that's kind of yes, – so what are you looking for when it comes to that, like setting up your cameras and stuff? Is this where you're starting to look at scrapes and, and different trails around doe bedding areas, that kind of thing? Where What were you guys looking for when you are scouting and for putting your cameras? So the one of the top things we're looking for is what – the preferred food sources and how it's changed on this specific property. And then obviously I'm, I'm always looking for scrapes, right? If I can find a fresh scrape, I'm throwing a camera on it. Mm -hmm. So, um, I personally, I only, I have one scrape that's open that I had a camera on and it was actually open earlier in September and I kind of helped it along also by opening it. And then, um, before I left on that trip, went ahead and opened that scrape up and then threw a camera on it. Giant community scrape. It's a historical scrape. Mm-hmm. And then um, this past week- weekend, I personally didn't run into any scrapes back where I'm spending most of my time. So it's not, nothing's opened up there yet, but it's still early. Right. So, um, Dakota ran into a few scrapes kind of in some of the spots that he was scouting um, nothing insane, but he ran into a few and, um, it's just kind of hit or miss when it comes to scrapes. And then, um, the preferred food source, there were some, um, green fields that were planted that we didn't know about, um, that have been, um, sprouting and growing over the last three weeks. Mm-hmm. So, so where typically we would focus more on oaks right. and white oaks. Especially, and there there were persimmons dropping. That property has a lot of persimmons, also. Mm-hmm. The deer are not in the hardwoods, like just yet. So, like they're um, staying in the thickets, it just like they were early season. So, bed to food, right? Pattern, same same kind of pattern. But now, they're in thicker, denser fall bed bedding, right? Mm-hmm. And instead of getting into the hardwoods just yet, they're in these clover fields and some turnips and and whatnot and kind of food plots that weren't there a month ago, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so a lot, a lot has actually changed in the area when it comes to food, and it kind of it makes it really great and very difficult to target all at the same time because they have so many options. Yeah, no doubt. So there's not like a limiting resource. There's not really a limited resource mm-hmm. to truly target. You have to evolve with what they prefer to eat at that period in time. Yeah. So um, so that that's kind of where we're at right now. So I'm moving cameras over to those preferred food sources. I'm hitting um, ditch crossings and pinch points um, and any kind of scrape that I find. That's where I've adjusted my cameras too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what you're talking about there with the preferred food source thing is interesting because especially when we do talk to guys about what food plots to plant and things like that, and even our own, if you're yep. going to have a bunch of winter wheat, if you're going to have a 200-acre field of winter wheat, if you're, the farmer's yep. doing cover crops, then you might have to plant like a winter rye or oats, something that they would prefer over that wheat. If, yep. if you don't have that close by, you can get away with wheat, which is a little cheaper option. And uh-huh. 
be a little more cost effective on it. And since there's no other option for them, that's going to be their preferred food source. So it's a similar to what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, absolutely. If there's yeah. if there's lush green fields around, you know they're that's 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 where they're going to be. And yeah. if there's a really big <laughs> white oak crop, you know that's that's where they're going to be if they're hanging out in that area. So yeah. it's not yeah. only like you're talking about finding the right the food sources, but finding what they're preferring. I think that's a pretty good point there that probably gets overlooked a lot. It it, it does, and and honestly, being a public land hunter, this is not a problem that I typically run into. Right. This is a a problem that you typically see on private land Mm -hmm. because you're purposefully planting these preferred food sources. Mm -hmm. So, so actually running into this problem on public, it's very exciting to me and I'm really excited to dive into it and, and really collect as much info as I, as I can. And then I, then at the same time, it's like, okay, well, this could get interesting because Mm -hmm. now where I typically have a limited resource and I dive into the oaks because that's my now limited resource and preferred food source over the crop fields, right? Mm -hmm. I now have to do, I'm doing the same thing, hunting, hunting the middle ground with hunting pressure. So I'm still mapping that out, right? And and that's how I find bedding. And then. Um, and then too, I'm like, okay, what bedding, bedding area is he going to choose this month because of this specific food source? And will it change next month because that other field will be more lush? So it's be, it'll be kind of fun to, um, play with this as the season goes on. So high traffic is where I'm sticking my cameras right now. Yeah. And so are you still pretty focused your scouting time and your cameras on Kentucky or have you been, have you located any bucks in Illinois or Kansas yet or Missouri? Man, I haven't had um, much time to, I haven't had a chance to get to Illinois yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of my time right now, especially when it comes to cameras are, um, is Kentucky. Yeah. So I've, I found some open scrapes in Kansas, some really big tracks and some really good signs that I'm excited to to dive into. And, um, so I'm pumped about that. I haven't got out to Missouri a whole lot yet. So most of my time honestly right now has been spent Kentucky and a lo- little bit of Kansas. So that, that big buck come on in Kentucky has kind of got me obsessed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, if you're on one, you might as well try to get that one, get him down get that out of the way. Right. And then, and then move on yeah. to a different state. And like, you know, I think we talked before, you always have November as that wild card for, say, yeah. Illinois, if you don't make it over here to scout or up there where you're yeah. going, you know. Um, yeah. That's always something you have in your back pocket is catching one moving during the rut. And that, that's the thing, too, is, you know, trying to har- harvest a buck on purpose, like a specific buck on purpose. Mm-hmm. You, you Most of the time you've got to do it outside the rut because they become very random in the rut. Yep. And so, so um it takes time. It takes a lot of, a lot of legwork, a lot of miles in the boots and takes a lot of time to really invest into a deer of that caliber. And, um, so in it, but it's fun. That's part, that's the part that I enjoy. And then, like you said, the rut, it makes it easy to really just dive into your woodsmanship and, and hunt. Right. You know, main movement patterns in the fresh sign and just see what moves by and, and, and whatnot. So it's just, 
it's very similar styles of hunting and slightly different all at the same time. Yeah, it's. I think the preparation is is the biggest difference in it, and where you're, if you're hunting that one specific buck, you got to figure out where he's at. And like you said, October and December, if he makes it through that rut and the yep. gun seasons, those are the times to kill those specific bucks that you're after because you can get them in yes, their sir. home range. Uh, you can kind of hammer down where they're going to be and then yep. and get on them that way. And that is all that preseason preparation, some in season scouting, running cameras and stuff like that. And then like you're talking about November. You're still using some of the same hunting tactics and strategies, yeah. but when it comes to the preparation, like you said, you just you're finding where the deer are at, and that's where you're going to be. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the the case. So where where you know um, the rest of the year, you're chasing preferred food sources, mm-hmm. right, and, and primary bedding around those preferred food sources, and then in November, you're chasing the herd. Right. Yep. So I mean, it's just kind of it's it's fun to see how the each phase of the the season evolves and how the these deer especially a specific deer you really get to learn in his habits mm-hmm. and how he interacts with that property yeah and that's even a, a thing about during the rut is like we're talking about preferred food sources but even as you're trying to find the herd within that you can try to find the does the more mature does that may be coming in earlier as you get yeah. later into the rut maybe it's the younger does that haven't come into heat yet that the bucks haven't found it's there's that's evolving as well as the month of november goes on even absolutely and and that's the thing too is what once you get to that super high caliber class of buck Mm -hmm. um the those mature does are seeking him out just as much so so Mm -hmm. he he's Mm -hmm. gonna lock down really fast with a doe like the first doe that comes in his area that comes into heat He's locked it down with her. Yep, he's been there and done that. He knows what's yeah, what's happening. Yeah, and and those does also want the more mature deer, especially the mature does, mm-hmm. want the more mature buck to breed, anyways. Yep. So, um, they, that that's kind of where you you, if that deer has everything that he needs in that one specific spot, he doesn't have to go anywhere. And it also it makes it great because he's there, and then it makes it very difficult to put in the truck all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's a couple guys. Well, Nate's one of them and a, a buddy of ours too. They're both, they know of deer. One guy's been on this deer for several years now, or at least a, a couple, two, three years. And yep. Nate's got one that's similar this year. You know where they're at. They got what they need. They're hanging out close, yep. but you just can't do anything with them without running them off. And and yep. they know that. They know they're safe where they're at, and that's why they stay there. Mm-hmm. They don't have to stray yes. very far for anything, so it makes them hard to hunt. Unless maybe you catch a doe pulling them by out of their area yep. in November. And even then it's tough because, like you said, you know, those mature does are going to go find them as much as the bucks are trying to find them, and they're going to lock down early. And then they may not have to go far because they might have another one close. So there's a lot that yeah. goes into it. So, there, I mean, there's definitely positives and negatives to both of that, like you're saying. It's, and that, that's, the, that's the positive is, you know, he feels so safe there that mm-hmm. you've done the, that he's got everything he needs. But because of that, he, you have to get so close to him. You have to get on top of them yep. and you know, his daylight movement may be extremely limited. Right. And, and if that's the case, then he could get really interesting to, um, really narrow down those kind of deer. A lot of times those kind of deer may take you a couple of years to gather enough intel. Oh, yeah. Yep. And, and it's fun, you know, see, you know, you got the bucks that are real homebodies that won't wander very far. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the bucks that will wander a bit more just because it's their more personality. 
and and obviously the bucks that wander more they're easier to put put on the ground compared to those bucks that just kind of hold up yeah yeah and yeah we got uh i had a deer in the shop this year actually that i had pictures of three miles from where he ended up getting killed and part (laughs) of that was you know that's their personality and part of that was the way the crops were when yep. when the corn was all out there, he was where I had pictures of him. As soon as they harvested the corn, he was he had to go find somewhere else to stay, and yep. you know that's that's where he ended up was three miles so, from where he was spending you know the latter part of October, and then I'm sure Doe's pulled him around too and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I mean that that happens quite a bit. I think uh, yeah. even on the crop rotation thing is that's another thing that Nate's dealing with right now. Fortunately for me, most of the stuff I'm hunting around is beans this year, uh, with yep. the exception of a little bit of it. So there is one spot I'm holding out a little hope for the same thing, but when the corn's still out there, even as it gets into October and they're starting to shift off their summer patterns, they can still be really hard to locate on cameras or see from the stand because, I mean, when they get in those waterways in the cornfield, they don't have to go anywhere, and they're not going to. Yep. Yeah, I mean they they don't they don't have to. They got water, they got cover and food, mm-hmm. all right there with them. If they don't have to leave, they're not going to leave. No. So, and that's a big reason, you know. That's why they get as big as they get. Yep. They yep. they figured out those spots, and and they just hold up in them. And that's where I think this this really big deer that I'm working on right now. I think he's going to require a little bit of a creative technique. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So. So I think I might have to get pretty creative. With <laughs> and we're not deer. talking about uh, a spotlight out the window of a truck creative technique. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard not some guys calling that creative. <laughs> not that creative. Right, right. <laughs> Within the boundaries of the law, of course. The, the ethical way yes. of, of and lawful way of hunting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. yeah, I know, right? Yeah, they, you got real creative with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we see plenty of that, the creative personalities when it comes to deer hunting. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, but no, back to kind of your point there, it does sometimes on those big bucks, especially I would assume on public land, you yeah. just got to get a little bit more crafty with them and, and figure out a different way to get to them. Because like where I'm at on the private ground, until it gets down to almost gun season, because they're pretty hard on them during gun season at least yeah. on one farm that I hunt. But, I mean, until it gets to that point, I can pretty much sit back and stay pretty low impact and wait for them to come by my stand yeah. as opposed to having to get too creative to go get them. Now, when it comes down to that last point, it's where we've talked about before, you can start implementing some of those public ground strategies even on your private ground. Um, 100%. And not that I'm not doing some of that anyway, but I would assume on public ground it's even worse. You have to get, like when you find one and you know he's there, you got to beat everybody else to him and hopefully, you know, even get him before he gets too much pressure and leaves. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and you know, kind of where, where I've got this, this deal here is, you know, I've got probably 40 acres of pretty unhuntable bedding cover mm-hmm. that I'm pretty sure he's holding up in. And, and, and unhunt, with, unhuntable, like, for for what reasons are you talking? Extremely dense, young, immature timber. Okay. Yep. Like like it's going to have to be a ground and pound situation mm-hmm. if you get in there quietly. Right. 
And then so, you're talking like really close shot too, I'd assume, and something like and that. You're, you're like, he's on top of you right. kind of situation. So um, it, that, that's where it might get creative. Um, but I, I know this spot well enough that if I can make sure that he's there, I feel pretty good about possibly getting creative on him. Mm-hmm. But um, that, that's just going to be just chip away at it right. kind of situation without bumping him out completely. Because there's it's crazy the amount of cameras that are out there and the amount of people walking it mm-hmm. and the fact that more deer don't get shot off of this property is kind of astonishing to me yeah but what it shows you though is it sh- shows you how how well these deer have adapted to be able to survive mm-hmm. and and just have figured out figured it out right so the, that's why we got the age class that we do, even though this property just gets hammered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of people making, you know, making mistakes out there hunting. Uh, yeah. I'm just not being able to get on deer. But that, that situation you're talking about with him on that bedding, if it comes down to even like late October, early November, and you can catch him in the right mood, if he's yep. the type of deer, I mean, if you got the wind, that's even one of those situations where you could go in and potentially, you know, make some noise going in. Almost like you see guys doing moose hunts and stuff. Right. Get him in a, a fighting mood like that time of year where his testosterone's as high as it's going to be. And as yeah. long as he can't wind you, if you go in there and essentially act like another buck, he might even come to you, you know. And that may be something where, in that situation, might be what it comes down to. I, I was I was thinking that same thing, mm-hmm. and I've been kind of, especially as the weekend went on, and I was kind of seeing what the what the area was looking like, how it was changing and, um, thinking through my head, different techniques. And that, that was one of them that came to mind was possibly seeing if I can get in there just close enough and mm-hmm. see if I can lure him to me yep. a l- little bit. And, um, um, I wish I thought, thought about this, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't probably be able to do this without messing it up but actually building some kind of a mock scrape in an area that that is very difficult to get to. Right, right. So I don't have, and I'm, and I'm still, and I'm thinking next year here, mm-hmm. if, if I'm not able to put him on the ground now, I'm thinking through, like, okay, what am I going to do in the off season? Knowing what I know now, what, what are my steps now in the off season? What information do I need to gather right. to, to, put those missing pieces together that possibly could put him down. So, um, yeah, it's kind of playing a balancing act to how aggressive I want to get with this deer. Yeah. And, and making sure he is where I think he is. Right. Yeah. Cause you don't want to, you got to be aggressive maybe to, to a certain point, but it's still, you don't want to run. You don't want to be the reason that he leaves and exactly. you know, that he runs yeah. off. Yeah. You, you don't want to be the reason for running your hunt. Yeah, and aggressive doesn't mean stupid either because you still, like, even what we're talking about there, like, if you're going in there making a mock scrape or you're going in there and maybe purposefully making some noise and scraping some leaves and trees and calling, I mean, you got to yep. be absolutely sure that you got the wind where you can yep. come in, and you have to put yourself in a position where he's not going to see you before you see him or he's not yep. going to see you while you're calling at him. So you have to have enough stuff in between you and where you think he's at that and it may be a situation where he you don't even see him till he's right on top of you, but he doesn't see you either. Uh, you still yeah. have to be smart about it, but you can oh, you can be a smart aggressive. Yeah, and that, that's where it's it's a it's a very much a calculated aggression. Mm-hmm. So it's because you, you don't want to chase him out of there 
and and run your long game on him. But but you sometimes you just gotta go get him and you gotta figure out how to put him down because he'll just live there. Yeah. Yep. And and won't get a shot at him if you don't make those moves that are necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially a situation like that. If he's found a place where yeah. he thinks he's safe, like with the pressure that you're talking about, he's yeah. It's almost like you know that same cornfield thing. He's not gonna leave unless unless you give him reason to leave. Yep. So if you don't go in there and run him out, you know, at least he'll be there next year. Uh, you can go in there and try to get a shot at him. And yeah. if you do it smart, even if it doesn't work, you know, hopefully he's probably going to be there next year because they're smart enough to remember that. I don't know if it's smart be the right word, but they remember that stuff from year to year. Yeah, absolutely. That they do. Then, then that's also why they are where they are is mm-hmm. that they fit, figured out areas where maybe they don't get bumped as often. Right. And also areas that, if they get bumped or when they get bumped, not if they will get bumped mm-hmm. when they get bumped, how, were they able to escape without any issues? Right. So what, once he figures out those locations, he's going to return to that location. He, even, even the next day after he gets bumped out of it, he'll return back to it. He's like, because boom, you just confirmed his reasoning for betting where he's betting. You bumped him out and he survived. Mm-hmm. So, so he's going to be back until you start bumping him out on a very consistent basis. And that's when he's going to truly shift out. Right. Right. So what's the, what's the last couple of weeks look like for you? Have you been in a tree much? I know you said you started a new job, so obviously that's going to take up some of your time, but or quite a bit of your time, but have you been able to yeah. get out much at all? Seen, been seeing anything good? Not, not as much as I'd like to. That's for sure. Right. Um, I have, well, that's I've always been, the case. Yeah. Not, yeah. It's, I've been scouting Kansas. I spent a day or two there doing some walking and then um, Kentucky spent some time in a tree this last weekend and walking. Um, aside from that, I haven't been able to really get out. Mm-hmm. So um, after, after this coming weekend, I'll be in a tree pretty nonstop. Yeah. So a lot of life will kind of smooth that smooth back out just a little bit. So um, it'll be nonstop after this weekend, that's Good. for sure. Good deal. And we're supposed to get another cold front, I think, at the end of this think, week, maybe. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I was looking at the weather. It looks like there's another cold front moving in this week, so, which will be great. It'll start firing up more scrapes, mm-hmm. getting some, le- getting these deer to leave a little bit more sign, get a little bit more aggressive, and um, tell us exactly where we need to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's... And it's, we're still obviously going to hit that October lull that we're kind of in now that will be until yeah. like the third end of the third week. But those cold fronts will give you a little bit better chance yeah. to maybe one gets up a little earlier or maybe they start feeling a little bit frisky early and they go make a scrape or something or they make some rubs and let you know they're there. Again, especially on public ground, if you're and if you're not running cameras, maybe that that gives you a reason to go out. And then if they did if that cold front got them up just a little bit early and they're making scrapes and or rub or something that gives you hope that there's something there worth shooting. Oh yeah, a- absolutely. And then get some, get some fired up a little bit, even at, at night hitting those scrapes also, mm-hmm. uh, just, just kind of leaves us a little bit of a tell. Yep. And hey, there's, there's possibly a mature buck here that we can kind of target. Yeah. So, and it's, that's, I know during, during the season, it's a little tougher to do, but it's something that you can look out for on your way in and on your way out, especially. Yeah. But we talked about it before, uh, back in the summer, where one of the bucks that you'd shot, I believe uh, one of the bucks that you'd shot, you had noticed this pattern of scrapes on the backside of a ridge, maybe it was, 
um, and just finding out not only, okay, there's a scrape here, but, you know, I remember seeing one 100 yards from the truck, too, that kind of seemed like maybe it was on the same line. And then yeah. maybe if you see yeah. another one, try to start patterning, maybe look on a map and mark where those scrapes are, and then it might tell you something, especially if you get a topo map on there. Maybe there's a little bit of a roll that you didn't really notice. Maybe it's a draw or something, or maybe it's maybe the structure that you do notice that's around, yeah. and, and that's a movement pattern for him. And you can kind of trace that back to food or bedding and get in where you need to be. Yeah, and that's something I did this this weekend was um, around this bedding area and around those food sources, I was I, I was paying attention to where the sign picked up, mm-hmm. where the increase in tracks were, and then where they died off. And then the, they increased again, and then they died off. And then I would dive into it, like, oh, okay, well, here's an increase here, and then also here's an increase here. And then you look on the map, you're like, hey, that's a straight line. That's a straight line from that field all the way back here into bedding. Right. I, I didn't take a straight line to it, but a deer could. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so if you start finding areas like that, where you've got an increased amount of tracks versus other areas, you start marking those and you start setting a camera on them and just piecing it together. Right. You start seeing a little bit of a pattern to it mm-hmm. and it could point you in the direction. And, um, I even bumped, I bumped some deer. I didn't, I didn't see what it was at the backside of this, of this bedding where I think he is. Mm-hmm. And this sounded like a daggum moose running yeah. through the field. So yep. I'm like, I don't know if that was him, but it could have been. Right. And, and if it was, he, he connects in a straight line, three or four different points of increased movement that I found. Yeah. Um, so if that's the case and that was him, then I might, beyond to set something when it comes to that that point so mm-hmm. that's where I just like give me a picture let, let me know you're here and then i feel pretty good about where you possibly are right so and then you start looking at little soft edges the soft it the soft edges are that's i think especially on pressure ground that's where you make your 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 kills and your hunts mm-hmm. the hard edges are always going to get hunted and they're easier to find yep Sometimes these soft edges, you can't actually see them on a map. Mm-hmm. So there, there's there's tiny a tiny ditch, uh, a tiny bench, something that doesn't show up on a map, and even on an aerial, just a slight change in vegetation. Yep. And those are the edges that these bucks are moving on, and you might not know that edge exists until you actually put boots on the ground and find it. Right. You know, like, hey, this is actually. And then you look at the direction it's leading. You're like, that's in line with where I think the movement primarily is coming from. Right? This makes sense. Mm-hmm. So once you can find little slight changes like that, where it makes it gives that deer a little bit of an edge to walk along, that maybe other people are missing. Yep. That that helps you get really creative, also. Yeah, and we talk about that a lot, especially with do consultations or yep. tell, talking about guys. Uh, improving their property is deer are obviously creatures of edge. So the more edges yep. that you can create and give them the better. And like you're saying, uh, and you know, we did a consultation earlier this, uh, well, late summer and we looked on the aerial map and we saw on the topo saw a ridge that we thought could be a pretty good point in the middle of the timber on this property. Uh, yeah. the way it laid out, it wasn't like all timber, but there was a pretty good patch North and South on the East side of the property. And 
we thought this the point of this ridge comes out about the middle of this timber, and it looked pretty good. So that's what we were thinking, but we got in there, and it was actually better than we thought because there was just that little bit of change like you're talking about from yep. pretty mature timber to where you could tell the canopy had been opened up like maybe some trees died or something, uh-huh. you know, 10 years ago or so. And there was a lot of little stuff. There were some bigger trees mixed in, so you couldn't really see it on the aerial. But it was a considerable edge in within the timber that yeah. just solidified that spot for us. And, you know, I think it's going to be a really killer spot for those guys, not only because it's on a point of that ridge where you would like to be anyway, especially on the during the rut, but yep. it also... There's enough difference between that mature timber and that younger stuff that's really thick that maybe some does are going to bed in there, um, and maybe a buck beds in there on the back side of that too, uh, and it gives them a place to go check for does. Yeah. Um, and it's that just that little edge of travel where you can kind of predict their movement in a timber situation where you can't always do that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, that, and that's something that, I mean, I've look, looked through for the – you know, for a lot long times, I love finding areas like that because you truly can't see them. You can't see how significant that edge is right. until you walk up on it. Mm-hmm. And and that's typically where I find, I talk about those daylight scrapes. That's where you're going to find the daylight scrapes is on those hidden little edges yep. that are hard, that are hard to find, especially on, on, on pressured ground. That's where they're going to be. Yeah, and like you said, it's it's hard to see from a map, and most people are doing their scouting from a map, which is fine, yep. because you yeah. can see stuff, but you have to realize that also everybody else is doing that too, and they're probably seeing that same spot. Yeah, and that's like in my mind, some of the things you can look for are those those ridge tops. Get a topo map and see, even if it looks like there's nothing going on in there, maybe it's yep. the bottom of that where, like you said, maybe there's a ditch at the bottom. If there's two ridges running alongside each other, maybe yep. on the aerial it looks like there's nothing. But down in the bottom of that, maybe there's a ditch and there's some like different type of vegetation around at the bottom of it. Or maybe it's like that situation I was just talking about. Those are some clues that maybe you can look at. Um, obviously, different types of different colors within the the trees on the on the aerial yeah. view sometimes can be a tell of that. Um, maybe it's just the different types of trees that are in there. But occasionally you can tell that, hey, maybe there's something going on here, but it's not that obvious. Right. Yeah. So we all know yeah. what it looks like when there's a, a pine grove in the middle of a hardwood timber. Yeah. yeah so right. it, it may not yeah. be that obvious, but it might be just a slight thing, especially if that meets up with something on your topo. It might be a place worth going and looking at, especially on public ground. Oh, yeah. And when, when, just like you just said, when one of those soft hidden edges converges with a more major mm-hmm. edge, that's, that's a killer spot. Yep. So, in, in a technique I'm kind of using right now with gathering intel on this this deer is um, using historical maps on Google, pulling up yeah hi- historical um, images, yep aerial images on Google, and seeing you know see, seeing maybe did it flood, was it moan, was um, anything burnt, what what happened, and that maybe exposes a a feature inside the thicket that you otherwise couldn't see. Mm-hmm. So, so that, that's kind of what I'm lo- looking at too, is I'm looking at interior edges using the historical maps, you know, as the um, um, vegetation go back to when the vegetation was maybe slightly more immature Yep. or, or something happened and killed it, killed it all off. You can actually see what, 
that what the lay of the land looks like a little bit better versus just this thick, dense canopy of brush. Right. So, so that that's another thing I've been looking at quite a bit too. Is okay. What's the what's this the interior edges look like? Yep. And is something I can go off of that um, could could give me some kind of um, more aggressive hunt mm-hmm. and but like a like we were talking about getting creative yeah a creative hunt yeah and that's just a creative way to scout because yeah. you might not be able to tell on a map the difference between 25 year old timber and 15 year old timber but if yep. you can look at an aerial image from 10 years ago you can see the difference yep. in 15 and 5 and yes, then maybe that that's going to be some kind of an edge in there that you could potentially expose and hunt and capitalize on that maybe maybe you're one of the only few guys that have noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. especially if you can't get to it, like if, you know, if it's one of those areas where like, this is so thick, I truly can't get to it. But if you can locate something like that on the interior, maybe you can figure out another way around Mm -hmm. or, or just wait till post season and then go in there and scout it. Yep. And, and when you're there during post season, figure out your access at that point. Yeah, and and because if you can figure out, because that's that's the time when you really just dive into it and figure it out, mm-hmm. and a great time to really find your access into hard to reach areas, not like that. But d- during season, you just got to be a little bit more careful. You can't just basically grid search a thick dense area like that. Right. Yep. So, um, but no, that's a that's a great way to get creative with like online scouting and um see if you're missing something mm-hmm. that's like that's right in front of your face almost right and that hopefully everybody else is missing in that situation exactly right yeah and and even if you know and maybe it's the case that maybe they're not missing it maybe they just haven't maybe they just haven't figured out how to hunt it right and then you yep. go in and figure out how to hunt it and you're good yeah you know that, that's the other thing too with getting with public lands it's not that you're seeing anything different than what a lot of people are seeing, especially those that really know what they're doing. But um, may- maybe you just figured out a tactic that they hadn't figured out, and you can capitalize on a hunt. Right. Yep. And that that's where it just it's just kind of gets interesting. Yeah, for sure. That's that's the kind of little stuff too that makes the difference in you know going out there and and maybe running into a buck in November every three or four years and going out there and being able to at least get on deer year over year and have good hunts on, on mature deer or, you know, the types of bucks that you're looking for. Yeah. hundred percent. It's, it's keeping an open mind. It's, it's always learning. It's always working. And, and that's something when I did this whitetail slam, when I started this, that's something I wanted to do was showcase the work mm-hmm. that, that goes into it because you don't see all these uh, the behind the scenes stuff you know the thousands of miles and hours spent actually getting ready for the hunt you kind of just see the finished product of the hunt yep so i wanted to you know want to showcase everything that goes into into actually making this happen yep so that's kind of the fun part about this series also yep and i gotta say i think you've done a great job of that from the preseason series and now even getting into the hunting part of it. So I don't want to, I don't want to take up too much more of your time today. And we're going to, we're going to head to the stand here before too much longer. So why don't you go ahead and tell everybody where they can find your series, the whitetail slam series and all your other stuff uh, before we get out of here. I know you've been on 
I, I didn't write the episode numbers down. I should have. But Austin's been on with us, I think, three. This is your fourth time, I believe. Um, and it's always good talking to you. The last one was back in July, though. I had I didn't realize it had been that long. But, um, it had been July? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or like second week of July. But uh, either way, let everybody know where they can find you um, and Tactical Approach Outdoors and all that stuff. Absolutely. See, um, the Whitetail Slam is on YouTube. If you look up Tactical Approach Outdoors, you can find all my videos there. Um, I'm on all, all social media platforms, Tactical Approach Outdoors. And my website is tacticalapproachoutdoors.com. Mm-hmm. If you have any questions, you know, about anything I do or any of my services, I would love to hear from you. Don't hesitate to send me a message. For sure, man. Well, hey, again, I appreciate you jumping on here with us. It's always fun talking to you. I always learn something, um, and hopefully everybody listening does too. Yeah, I enjoy I enjoy talking to you, man. It's always a good time. Yep. Well, I'll let you get out of here. Like I said, we're gonna I'm going to get this thing posted. And then we're going to head to the stand and hopefully get Javen on a dough tonight. Heck yeah, good luck. I hope you do. All right. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Take care, buddy. Yep.